Thank you so much for checking out the Christian Church of Clarendon Hills podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's sermon. We invite you to stop by www.cccch.org to find out more about our church and to make plans to visit us on a Sunday morning. So as I shared, 4th of July was yesterday and it's the opportunity for our country to celebrate its independence and its freedom. It's a, it's a reminder for us as Americans that independence and freedom are in our country's DNA. In fact, the, the First Amendment to our Constitution, just to make sure that we as Americans remember that we want to value and cherish freedom, this First Amendment was added just to drive home this point. I'm going to read it to you if you word for word. Some of you may even know it by heart, but here's what it says. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. You can be free to worship and choose whatever religion you want to. Or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. So we can have free speech. We can have free press. We can have the, the free right to gather. We can question and call the government freely. We can do all those things here in America. Now, I think what has been so hard during these last few months is that for some people, I'm not saying this has been everyone's experience, but for some people, they have felt like their basic freedoms have been imposed on by such government officials. Whether it's posts on social media that have been flagged as false or have been taken down, whether it's authorities who will seemingly support this type of protest, but then say this type of protest can't happen due to not wanting to spread COVID-19, whether it's deeming some businesses essential and other businesses non-essential. I mean, the list could go on and on in ways that the American public has felt that their freedom is under attack. Now, the reason I bring all of this up this morning is not to stir up some animosity and some anxiousness and some frustration in your hearts this morning, but it's, it's because we're going to talk about a characteristic of God that isn't really talked about in the American church all too often. And I believe the reason why we don't talk about this characteristic is because from our limited perspective, it flies in the face of our freedom, our personal freedom. This morning, we're going to look at the sovereignty of God. And some of you may have heard this word before. Some of you, this might be the first time you've ever heard of the sovereignty of God. And, and even others, you may begin to, to feel those feelings of, I don't like that word. That doesn't feel right. I don't think that's the God I worship or serve. Because that word sovereign just has this weird negative feeling in our hearts. Now, before we talk about the sovereignty of God, I think it's important that we define what sovereignty or what sovereign is. So Merriam-Webster's dictionary de defines the word sovereign as this. One possessing or held to possess supreme political power or sovereignty. One that exercises supreme authority within a limited sphere. See, when someone is sovereign, it means that they are in complete control over anything and everything. And they have complete authority to exercise their control over anything and everything within their limited sphere, whoever they rule over. 
And if you read through the dictionary, keep going down on this word, you see many different examples of how this word is used in sentences or ideas. And, and a lot of them talk about kings and queens and monarch-led kingdoms that are across the pond in Europe. And on a 4th of July weekend, we remember, we, we think about the fact that our country was founded on the idea that we were escaping that so that we could experience freedom. That one person or one entity or one family lineage can't have control and power over everyone for years and years to come. That's why here in America, we have a system of checks and balances for our three branches of government. It's why all of us, when we hear the word executive order, whether it comes from this president, the last president, or any president before, we start to cringe a little. Our, our antennas go up. It, it doesn't feel right. We don't like that type of phrase because it feels like something that we pushed against and didn't want within our country. Yet the sovereignty of God is very different than the sovereignty or the sovereign rule of man. And so what my hope this morning is this, is that we choose to lean in to how God has revealed himself to us as sovereign over us all. It's, it's my hope as we continue in this series, The Real God, that, that the idea of God's sovereignty will actually lead us to a place of being in awe of who he is, a, a thankfulness of what he's done, and a place of worship because he is the one and only Sovereign God. So in order for us to, to wrap our finite minds around the infinite God this morning, we're going to look to God's word. And, and here at CCCH, we read from God's word, the Bible, because we believe God has primarily revealed himself to us through his word. It's the lens that we are able to understand directly who God is. And we're going to be looking at a few different passages of scripture this morning. The first one is one of the last verses in the book of Genesis, the first book of our Bible. The, the last few chapters of the book of Genesis are the biography of a guy named Joseph. Now, many of you probably know Joseph or Joseph in the Technicolor dream code and you've heard about him before. But Joseph's story is a rags to riches type story. In Genesis chapter 37, where his story begins... He is one of the youngest of 12 brothers, but he's also his dad's favorite. Now, the older brothers are jealous. They don't like Joseph, and so they decide to get rid of him. Some of them want to kill him, but they end up deciding to sell him into slavery. And they're, they're far outside the, the nation or the, the, the area of Egypt during that time. But over the course of the next 10 to 12 years of Joseph's life, he bounces around from prison to prison. He experiences highs and lows in, in different areas before he ends up in Egyptian slavery in the palace of Pharaoh. And it's in this palace that he's there for a few years as a prisoner that one day Pharaoh, who is the ruler of not only Egypt, but the entire known world at this point has this crazy dream. And he has no idea what it means. But over the course of those 10 to 12 years, Joseph, through the power of God working in him, had the ability to interpret dreams. And this was known by some. And so Joseph gets an opportunity to interpret Pharaoh's dream. And what Joseph tells Pharaoh is accurate. It's correct that his dream was was prophesying that for seven years, 
Egypt and the rest of the world would experience great abundance and a harvest and just tons and tons of great wheat and prosperity and, and they'd be living large. But then for the seven years after that, there'd be this devastating famine that would sweep the entire country of Egypt and the known world. So Pharaoh, he elevates Joseph from a prisoner to being second in command, overseeing all of Egypt in this process for seven years of storing up and saving as much grain and, and, and wheat and as much as possible so that the nation of Egypt, as well as surrounding areas, could survive the famine. This plan works great. In fact, it's during those seven years of famine that not only people inside of Egypt are okay, but people outside of Egypt in the known world come to Egypt and get to meet with Joseph and receive grain for their family. One of those families that came was Joseph's family. In fact, his 10 older brothers all came on a journey because the famine had struck them as well. And long story short, in that interaction, Joseph and his brothers reunite. The brothers go home, they get their dad and their youngest and they come back and they live in Egyptian luxury in the palace with Joseph for years and years to come. It actually sets the nation of Israel up to be a benefit to the entire world for years to years and come because of what Joseph did. Now, at the end of all of this, the highs and lows that Joseph has gone through, look at Joseph's one sentence perspective on everything that took place. It's found in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. He says this, talking to his brothers, he says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. See, his brothers were not sure how Joseph was going to take all this. They weren't sure how this reunion was going to be. And Joseph tells them, you guys had evil intentions and plan, but you weren't in control of my life. Just because you sold me into slavery doesn't mean you were in control. This whole time, God was in control. God was putting these pieces together so that I could be at Egypt at just the right time to, to be a part of this thing that would save the entire known world during this time from this devastating famine. You guys thought you were in control. I thought I was in control. But the other day, it was God who was in control. That's God's sovereignty at work. Yeah, this can be a hard pill to swallow when we hear a story like this because was Joseph really free to make his own decisions? Were the brothers really free to make their own decision about Joseph? Or, or was God kind of using them as chess pieces in his cosmic chessboard and moving them along so that all these things could happen just the way God intended it to be? I mean, were Joseph and his brothers truly free? Did they have actual freedom? You know, I think this false belief that we have about freedom is that we are 100% free to do whatever we want. And that's not true. The Bible actually never paints that picture for us. In fact, it paints the opposite picture. God has revealed the opposite thing to us. You and I, as soon as we come into this world, are not free. But we have a master. And his name is sin. His name is Satan. The Apostle Paul talks about this in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. He says this, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. This idea of being burdened by a yoke of slavery, it's the concept that 
that when we come into this world, before we have a relationship with Jesus, we are overwhelmed, we are burdened, we are carrying this load of sin. That sin has complete control over our lives. That Satan has complete control over our hearts and our minds and our attitudes. And for what Paul has to say to us this morning is that the only way you can experience freedom is if Christ sets you free. Otherwise, you have a master. You're not truly free. You're not the one who's in charge of your life. Yet at the same time here at CCCH, we talk about how we want to be a church that is helping people to fully surrender their lives to Jesus. So we are set free from the enslavement of sin, but then we choose to use our freedom under the influence and the control and the sphere of the sovereign God in our life, the one who is in control. Now, you and I would both agree that sometimes we don't always use our free decisions to obey God, to live the life that he has called us to live. We don't, it's not always our natural inclination to do that. In fact, if you made a decision to trust in Jesus as your savior, you have God's spirit, the Holy Spirit living inside of you. But you also had that sinful nature that once enslaved you completely, had complete control over your life, that there's this battle going on. There's this war going on inside your heart and your soul and your mind. And it's this daily battle going back and forth. If I want to live for God, but I feel the pull to live for myself and, and feel the, li- the, the pull to live for my old master. In fact, the Apostle Paul, he writes about this. In Eugene Patterson's paraphrase of the Bible entitled The Message, he talks about this concept, this inner battle that goes on in Romans chapter 7, verses 14 and following. Look what, look what he has to say. I can anticipate the response that's coming. I know all of God's commands are spiritual, but I'm not. Isn't this also your experience? Yes, I'm full of myself. After all, I spent a long time in sin's prison. Now, what I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another, doing things I absolutely despise. So if I can't be trusted to figure out what is best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's command is necessary. But I need something more. For if I know the law but still can't keep it, and if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me. It gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel. And just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? We can all relate to this. (laughs) I, I want to be patient with my kids. But there's something inside of me every time they disobey that just burns in me and I just want to yell at them. I, I want to be kind and loving to my wife, but there's just something inside of me when we get in an argument that just burns inside of me and I just want to lash out or, or speak louder so that my point is heard. I, 
I want to be kind when that person cuts me off on the road, but there's just something inside of me that burns or, and I just want to yell and roll down my window and say something to them or, or drive and cut them off as well. I feel this battle going on inside. I don't know what to do about it. It's so predictable. It happens every single day. I am a captive. I am a slave to this battle. Who can set me free? Sovereign God can. There's one thing that you and I can take away from this message this morning. It's our big idea for the morning. You can write this down if you're taking notes at home. It's this. It's that I can be truly free because God is sovereign. I can be truly free because God is sovereign. You may be thinking to yourself, how does that make sense? Those two words seem like they contradict each other. Like the experience you're sharing right here is that there's the Holy Spirit, and there's the sin nature, and both of them are in control. And I can't really do anything about it because they're so powerful inside of me. Like, are we just robots? We're controlled either by Satan or by God, and that's the end of the story? No. We can experience freedom because God is sovereign. We can't experience freedom apart from relationship with God. And this is the conclusion that Paul comes to here in verse 25, this paraphrase of the Bible. It says this. The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but am pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. In this life of contradictions, not only the internal contradictions, but sometimes outward contradictions that don't make sense in our finite minds. Like, how can I be free when there's a sovereign in place? All of these things, we can trust that because Jesus died and rose again, we can experience true freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. The creator of this world, he's sovereignly and divinely allowed us to experience freedom in relationship with him, the only type of freedom that we can experience, greater than any type of experience that you and I can have as an American. And in fact, this freedom takes it a step further. It helps us to view the world the way God sees it, that everything that happens, whether it's a good thing that comes from God or it's an evil thing that God has allowed to come into our sphere of life, because at this point, God has not completely eradicated every negative consequence of sin. He, he destroyed the punishment of sin once and for all when Jesus died and rose again. But it's not until Jesus returns that he's going to eradicate every negative aspect, every ne- negative consequence of sin. So you and I are going to go through difficult times. And those things are going to happen here on this earth. But it's in those times that we can experience freedom, even though those things are out of our control. In Romans chapter 8, verse 28, God or Paul talks about this. Exact thing. And and look what he has to say. It's really, really interesting. Maybe this is a verse you've heard before. Maybe this is something that you've talked about before or heard someone kind of say something like this. But let's let's see what actually Paul has to say. He says this. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. In all things, whether it's good or whether it's bad, God has a plan. He has a purpose. It's for your good, even if it doesn't feel good. And ultimately, it's for his glory. You know, a few, a few months ago, a couple months ago, we took a church survey and we asked people, what's going to be the thing that helps you to stay encouraged throughout the summer? How are you going to stay connected to the church? And two thirds of our church said that the way that they can stay encouraged, the way they can stay connected to our church 
is by getting daily doses of hope into their life. It's why over these past five weeks, Monday through Friday, we've gone through a YouVersion Bible reading app plan called Discovering Hope During Catastrophe. We would read through the passages of scripture together. Uh, I would post like a five to seven minute video on our YouTube page. And if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel so that you can get all of our videos and our sermons and our updates right to your device as soon as we post them. Now, the reason we did all that is because we believe that we can find hope and encouragement from God's word during this time. Because in the middle of May, end of May, we were discouraged. We were in the height, we were in the peak of COVID-19 cases here in Illinois, and things were feeling overwhelming during that time. And maybe they're still feeling that way today, but two months ago, they really, really felt that way. So why was that the desire of two-thirds of our church family? That was their top theme for them to stay connected to the church this summer. It was daily doses of hope and encouragement. It's because COVID-19 has brought to light that we're not in control. That this virus, we, we can't control the, the spread of it. We can minimize it, but if it wants to spread, it's going to spread. Now we, we, that the, the best medical professionals in our world haven't figured out how to stop this. And even if they stop it and get a vaccine for it, it can still move and it can still spread and still mutate. And it just feels overwhelming. And it's just brought to light that we as humans, we're not in control. And so we go to the the hope and the, the, the source of hope that we believe. It's God. We affirm God's sovereignty in this way. He is in control. He's the one that can get us through everything. He's the one that can be our, our one that sustains us during difficult times. And we're also confident, we're also hopeful, that one day he is going to come back. He's going to wipe every tear from our eye. He's going to destroy every disease and sickness and virus here on this earth. He's going to create a new heavens and a new earth. And we look forward to that day. But for us as humans, we like to celebrate that aspect of God's sovereignty and being in control. But when it seems to impose on our freedom or our choice, we, we tend to push it away and, and struggle with it. But I want to give us a suggestion this morning of how God has revealed himself to us, which reminds us that he's God and we're not. Throughout Christianity, there are some essential beliefs that we hold to where there is a apparent contradiction in our minds. But when we read the passages of scripture, we realize that's exactly how God has explained it to us. For instance, for over a thousand years, 1500 years in our religion of Christianity, it has been affirmed and believed from the word of God that Jesus is 100% man and he's 100% God. It's also been affirmed and believed for thousands of years that, that God is God the Father 100%, he's God the Son 100%, and he's God the Holy Spirit 100%. We have no issue with these things. In fact, every Christmas we sing songs about Jesus being fully God and fully man, that he's Emmanuel, God with us. But when it comes to sovereignty and freedom, it seems like those things can't be compatible with one another. Yet what we see here in scripture is that we are 100% free to make our own decisions and that God is 100% sovereign. We're 100% free to disobey and do whatever we want. And we're also 100% controlled by sin and Satan in our hearts and our souls. 
this is a really hard thing to wrap our minds around. But when we come into this world, we're enslaved to sin. And it's only Christ that can set us free. But he sets us free to his sovereign work in our lives. And yet what we see throughout the scriptures, what we see in Romans chapter 7, as Paul is talking about, is this inner turmoil, this battle that you and I experience it. We feel it on the inside. We want to do good, yet we don't do it. We don't want to do something bad, but we do it anyway. We feel this tug and war, this battle going back and forth, back and forth. And we know that we can make decisions on our own, yet God is still in control. And we know that sometimes we shouldn't make decisions and we do it anyway because sin is compelling us to do it. And it doesn't fully make sense in our mind, but if we have no problem affirming Jesus being fully God and fully man, why is it hard to affirm another concept that God is sovereign and that we are free to choose to obey him or to not obey him. As we close up our time together this morning, I just want to read this to you guys. It's um, just this idea that I kind of came up with, talked with a couple of the pastors. They said, hey, maybe you just throw this out there for for people, just a screenshot or write down, just to ponder on. um, If you're doing slides, it's going to go back a couple slides, but it's this one. It says this. Either I can freely submit myself to what God wants for me or I can freely submit myself to my sin nature. I'm going to say that one more time. Either I can freely submit myself to what God wants for me or I can freely submit myself to my sin nature. We do have a decision. We are free to choose what we want to do. But that only happens because we've experienced freedom in Christ. If you've never made that decision to trust in Jesus as your Savior, you will be bound by sin. You will be having sin as your master for the rest of your life. That's the reality. But if you trust in Jesus as your Savior, the Bible tells us that you've been set free. And it's the greatest type of freedom that you and I could ever experience. We hope that you've enjoyed today's sermon. Please check us out at www.cccch.org and plan a visit for next Sunday. We would love to see you.